Turn to Psalm 24. Every once in a while, between preaching through books, I'll preach through ten psalms, and that's what we're doing again right now. We've made it through the first three psalms in the 20s, and Psalm 24, we read part of earlier this morning in the call to worship. We're going to read it again, and I'm going to start by asking you all a question. Kids, this one's for you. Who is allowed to come to church? We got disagreement, as usual. Got some everyone answers and some Christians out there answers. All right, well, we got, we got some, some conflicting ideas from the kids. What do, you, what do you adults think? What do we get? We got, we got some everyone's, we got some everyone's out there. But now you might find this psalm challenging as we read it. So let's, let's read what the psalmist, what David says. He gives us a warning about coming to church. Here we are, Psalm 24. Please stand for the reading of God's word. A psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The start of this psalm declares to us a beautiful reminder that God is God. God is God. Not us. Not some strange mystical power. God is God. And because He is God, it means that this creation that He made, it's His. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains. Why is it His? Because He's the one who made it. He's the one who founded it. 
Now, have any of you ever founded anything? Do you know what that, what that means, kids? Not to find something, but to found something. It's kind of a strange English word. But when you found something, you establish it. You create it. You are, the, you are the one who makes it in the first place, gets it started, right? Maybe some of you have founded a club, established a club. Maybe some of you have started businesses. And it's, it's always newsworthy when the founder of a business gets kicked out, right? All of a sudden you realize, oh, that business isn't his anymore. The board got rid of him, right? Who can get rid of the Lord who established the earth, who created its foundations? He is the one who made the, the, the sea separate from the land and there was dry land. And there was water. From the beginning, He is the owner of the earth. He is the creator, the founder, the establisher. Not just of the world, but a little bit scarier even than that. He owns us. He owns us. The earth is the Lord's. You see that? And all it contains. And if it wasn't clear that we are in the earth, that it contains us and that we are His, let's just read the next line. The world and those who dwell in it. That's us. What is it saying about us? We are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. Why does all of this matter? At the start of this psalm, what what is David trying to drive home to us? Certainly the power of God, His sovereignty, but also His ownership. The fact that we owe all that we are and all that we have, our very being, we owe to Him. So with that as an introduction, all of a sudden, King David really feels like he switches gears. And he says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Now, it's not that big a switch if you realize, oh, he's, now he's beginning to narrow it down a little bit. He's, he's coming to a specific place that God is particularly concerned with, the hill of the Lord. Now, what is the hill of the Lord? Do any of, do any of you kids think you know what the hill of the Lord is? Any ideas? Yeah, Julie. His throne? How does that connect with the hill? What, what hill do you think he might be talking about? It's a good, it's a good guess. Yeah, Adelaide? What's that? Mount Sinai? That's Mount Zion. Is that what you said? Oh, oh, you corrected it. Yeah, good correction. Mount Zion, the hill of the Lord. What is that? We live in Ohio, right? Some of us, not all of us. We've got some uh, other states represented here today. But 
We live in the United States. We live in a different continent from the place that David lived. A different, cross the world, cross the oceans from where David was speaking of. The hill of the Lord was Mount Zion. It was the place where the Israelites gathered to worship the Lord. It was the place where the tabernacle was raised at that time. It was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was present. And those things represented the physical location where God made his presence on earth particularly known and felt. Now, if you go back earlier, before King David, you see that happening in various places, right? Do you remember what happened as the Israelites came out of Egypt? How did God make himself known, his presence on earth? How did the Israelites see that? Yeah, take. That's right. There was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God made his presence with his people known through physical signs, right? Through these, through these objects, through these places. Now, David asks this important question, who may ascend, who may go up into the Lord's presence on that holy hill? Who may stand in his holy place? And the answer disqualifies all of us. The answer disqualifies everybody except for ultimately one man. Jesus Christ. He is the one who can truly enter into the holy place. It is through his work that the holy of holies was opened to all of us. The veil was torn in two through the entry of that man, Jesus Christ. But David gives, David gives an answer here. He doesn't say, Jesus is the only one who can enter, right? He doesn't even say the Messiah, the Old Testament word for the the chosen one, the one who would come, the one that they looked forward to in faith. He says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, Now, today, who among us can claim to have clean hands? What does it mean to have clean hands? What? Did, did you see the hand sanitizer out there when you came in? Did you all use it? For shame. I got a no from one of you. Oh, did, so... But if you did, who did? I Certainly somebody used hand sanitizer this morning. Anybody wash their hands this morning? Everybody raise your hands. Go ahead, everybody. All right, thank you. All right. Do you all have clean hands then? 
Is that what it's talking about? Is that what David means, kids? Is that what it means to have clean hands? No, it's not, is it? What does he mean to have clean hands? Why do I say that it disqualifies us to say only those with clean hands can ascend to the holy hill, enter into his presence? I'll answer this one. It's because we have all done wrong with our hands. And the moment that we have done wrong with our hands... They are no longer clean. It's the same as with our hearts. that The moment that our hearts have an evil desire, they are no longer clean hearts. Right? And since Adam, since the Garden of Eden, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have hands that have done violence. Now that sounds, I don't know, violent, right? I mean, to to say we have violent hands seems like a bit of an overstatement. And yet it's not. How have we done violence with our hands? Well, I I would venture to say that There's almost nobody in here who hasn't actually taken their hands and struck others in violence, probably starting with a brother or a sister, right? Some of you, hopefully, who are still young only, uh, have done it this week. Though I would not doubt that in a room this size, with this many adults, that even one of the adults may have done it, or two, or four. Why? Because that is what's in our hearts. We struggle against hearts that are desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. And so our hands through violence, become unclean. But that is not the only way that our hands become unclean, of course, right? We make our hands unclean anytime we use them not for the glory of God. Remember, we have that command that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or, or anything else that we do, and what do you do things with? You do things with your hands, right? that we are to do it all to the glory of God. So the moment that we use our hands for something that does not glorify God, they become impure hands. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Now, if you manage to keep control of your hands... It's a whole new ball game when you start trying to keep control of your heart, isn't it? It's a whole new ball game. Because why? Because it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks and that the hands act. We use our hands because of the intentions that come up from within us. And those intentions flow out of our desires, the things that we want, right? 
So, so out of, out of our hearts come, well, we, we know that lots of things come up out of our hearts, right? Slanders. We got, we got joy. Got joy as an answer there. When can joy come up out of our hearts? Joy can come out of our hearts. Here we have this statement that only those who have hearts that can have true joy can come into his presence. That's really what it's that's really what it's saying. It's only through cleansing that we are able to come into his presence. And it's only through cleansing that we are able to have true joy. Who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. What does it mean to have a pure heart? If you have pure gold, what does that mean? Does that mean that there's gold and then that mixed in with it you've got iron and silver and copper and dirt? Is that pure gold? No? No? So what does it mean to have a pure heart? It means that it's unmixed, right? Heart is singular, devoted to what? To God, to God's glory. So what does what what we know is that wicked desires that we have, that we that we know in our in our hearts, right? Those wicked desires flow out of a mixed a mixed heart, right? An impure heart. And of course, who in here? can say, I've never told a lie. We might might one day be able to have the opportunity to say with the great great quote, you know, I cannot tell a lie. And speak a truthhood right then, speak the truth. I cannot tell a lie, I chopped down the cherry tree, or whatever, you know. But even that, it's an example of telling the truth that my hands had done evil, right? We lie even to ourselves. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can know it? Now, so when David asks this question and then gives this answer, I mean, Listen, you've got to be honest when you're reading the Bible, right? You've you got you to gotta look at it honestly. When it says, here's who can come up to the hill of the Lord. Here's who can enter into his holy presence. You should, you should read what comes next, and it should resonate with you, and you should think, oh, you know, that's interesting, because that doesn't describe me. who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. 
and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob, Selah. And that's where all of a sudden it's like, okay, okay, there is some hope here, isn't there? There is some hope. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. You say, well, you just got done telling me I was disqualified. I can't go up there. So why, why would that be hopeful? Why should I expect to receive a blessing from the Lord? Well, what else does it say you receive from the Lord? Not just a blessing. Righteousness from God. Righteousness from God. It's right here where you have come face to face with the fact that you are not righteous, that all of a sudden that blessing begins to bear real, real joy in your hearts, doesn't it? Real hope. The blessing of the Lord is that he gives righteousness. Righteousness. From where? From himself. And who is he? He is the God of salvation. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because now we realize that that hill is open to us, isn't it? If we seek the God of salvation, there is hope for us. Our hearts can be washed. Our hands can be clean. We can be purified. He is the God of salvation. And if He's the God of the Creator of the universe, right? The owner of the world, the universe, and us. And then He is the God of salvation. That's good news. Because if he decides that he's going to save people for himself, if he decides he's going to choose Jacob and make Jacob his people, right? Israel. Are they going to be his people? They are going to be his people, aren't they? And he will be their God. The God of their salvation. So if we are cleansed by Him, if we seek His face, we will receive a blessing. The blessing of righteousness. The blessing of righteousness from the God of salvation. Selah. It's a good place for a pause to dwell on that, isn't it? And a change comes over the psalmist at this point, and he begins to sing not a new song, but a response in the same song. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Now, what doors, what gates is he talking about? Kids, what do you think? Where does God come into among his people? Yeah. 
the temple, right? I mean, that's the natural picture that you've got there, I hope, right? You know, the gates, the doors, ancient doors, except for one thing. This is David. Who built the temple? Solomon did. And who was Solomon in relation to David? His son, right? (laughs) So who came first, David or Solomon? And when did Solomon build the temple? After David was already gone, right? But here David is the one writing this. So is he talking about the temple? Ah, I tricked you. He is talking about the temple. (laughs) He is talking about the temple. But it's odd, isn't it? For David to be talking about the temple, it hasn't even been built yet. Why can David talk about the temple? The same reason that David can talk about the Messiah. Because he believes by faith that God is fulfilling his promises. Now, we have so many more promises that have been fulfilled by God. We get to look back to the Messiah, to Jesus, right? Fulfilled promise. And yet, not all of his promises have yet been fulfilled, have they? Not every last one of them is complete. Now, can you, like David, sing this way? Can you sing about that future with that confidence? Now, the funny thing is, we are still looking forward the same way to the same thing, the temple, right? Does God dwell in a house made with human hands? No, no. The temple, the physical temple that Solomon built, Solomon said that himself at the dedication of the temple, as though a temple could, be, could contain you, right? When he's praying to God, that's what he says. Why? Well, because David is looking forward to more than just a physical building that his son is going to build. He's looking forward to the true and final temple, the same way that we are. And the command, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. That command is to the temple. Now let me ask you, Who is the temple? Not what is the temple or where is the temple, but who is the temple? We are the temple. The temple, not made with human hands. The temple being built up by God the Father through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is building each of us as stones and God dwelling in our midst. 
And so this command that comes is not to the building that Solomon is going to build. Open up, gates. That's just, that's just a picture for us. The command is to us. Open up to God. Open up to the king. Now, if he is the God of your salvation, the thought of opening up to him sounds great. And it brings you joy to realize that when he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. God is present when the church gathers together in his name for worship. That is what we are doing. God is present. Not in some way less than he was present in the physical temple that Solomon built, where it was filled with the cloud of his presence, right? And they couldn't minister in the temple. But in a way more, he is present because his Holy Spirit has been poured out on us and he dwells in us. Now that is, that is beautiful. That is a wonderful, wonderful picture. And so that command comes to us. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who are you letting in? Who are you letting into your heart? Who are you opening up to? That's right. It's a good Sunday school answer. Jesus. And if you don't, you better watch out because listen to what he is like. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. If you remain his enemy, you remain in mortal danger. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Not just a mighty warrior, the Lord of hosts. Hosts. You remember what Jesus said when Peter drew his sword? Peter's like, no, you're not going to arrest Jesus. He's got his sword out and he is swinging it down to Now, you chop somebody's ear off with a sword? Let me ask you, what were you trying to do? That's right. Kill him. That's right. He he just barely moved his head in time, right? And what did Jesus say? Put away your sword. Put away your sword. Why? Because, don't you know... I could call legions, legions of warriors, soldiers, angel warriors. I can tell you want to answer that question. Go ahead. Oh, no, not right now. That's the king. 
That's the king that we open up to. That's the king of glory. The one who has legions, armies at his disposal. The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Now, here we are. We are gathered in his name. We are his people. We are cleansed if we open up to him. You know, it's this strange thing where it says, who can come to his hill? And the answer ultimately is, only people that he has come to first. Only people that he has cleansed first. Because everybody else is still in their sins. Everybody else is still disqualified. What will happen? He will be our mighty warrior. He will be our savior. He will cleanse us from our sins. He will make it so that his word is perfectly fulfilled. His promises to each and every one of us. Now, do you want them? Do you want the promises of God? Or do you want him as your enemy? Those are the choices before you, and you better be clear in your mind whether you are opening up to him, the Lord of hosts, the King of glory, or whether you remain his enemy. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Let us pray for clean hands and a pure heart before him.